What a fun day it has been. I'm in a series of teaching right now called All In, and it's a really good time for it as we talk about what God has done and celebrate that. And I'll give you a quick little sneak peek of what's coming up. In two weeks, I'm going to start a new series, something I've never done before, on men and masculinity and what God says about men. Uh, It's going to be very unpolitically correct and very biblically correct. Uh, It's going to change a lot of men's lives, especially men who uh, didn't have godly fathers and never were taught a lot of what it looks like to be a man of God. Um, Women, you're going to love this series because of what it's going to deposit in your husbands and sons and fathers. And I believe God's going to use it to change the course of this church and a lot of family trees too. Uh, Then you want to make sure you come back next week. I'm going to do one more week in this series, and I think I'm going to teach you how to share your faith. I'm going to teach you how to witness and tell people about Jesus. People ask me uh, how to do that, and I've never really gone through that and given a lot of uh, strategy and techniques for doing that. So it'll be really, really helpful for you. Uh, So come back next week. Today I want to talk about what God's been doing through our church body and celebrate it so that you can be a part of it and benefit from it. Uh, If you look back 2014 when we launched Generation Church, we had about 500 people in the church at the time and a small budget but a big dream and an even bigger God and how many of you know that nothing is impossible with God? So we started to grow And we were growing a lot, and it was primarily through conversion, like people accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It wasn't a lot of, like, Christians just transferring to this church because we didn't have a lot to offer Christians at the time uh, compared to a lot of other churches. But we could get lost people saved because we had Jesus. So we started to grow, uh, and we multiplied, and here we are eight years later, and the church is eight times bigger than it was then. Five years in a row, Lifeway Research and uh, Outreach Magazine recognized that we were one of the top 100 fastest growing churches in America, which is just incredible when you realize there are 300,000 Protestant churches in America and that 60% of them are plateaued or declining. But then last year, we had our fastest growth year ever and grew 40%. Uh, So now on average, I mean, that's, that's uncommon and... Really miraculous. Now, on average weekend, uh, between Mesa, Fountain Hills, South Mountain, and online, we have about 3,500 to 4,000 people who regularly will join us for worship. Uh, Seven services, plus three chapel services, uh, plus what's happening online. Uh, Thousands of people have accepted Jesus uh, for God's glory. Amen. And we're grateful for that. And what I love about this church is that we might have the numbers of a mega church, but we have the heart of a family church. And I pray that whenever you come to church here, you would feel how special and important you are to God and that you would feel like you're a part of a church family. We've seen many lives changed and marriages restored uh, and chains broken as God has moved. And one of the things I think is worth uh, celebrating about this church is it's kind, of, it's kind of unique. It's that pretty much every Sunday we give people an invitation to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I don't know why, but a lot of churches don't do that. But I just think, man, if you're not giving people a chance to accept Jesus, like what is the point, Right? 
I just think it's so important. And uh, Lifeway Research says that half of the churches in America uh, in the last 12 months saw less than 10 people get saved. Right, so the average church in America, less than 10 people got saved in the entire last year in those churches. Uh, but get ready for this, all right? Get ready for this. Last year, we gave out 507 Bibles to people who accepted Jesus. And this would be a really conservative estimate of how many people got saved. Because, you know, we'll leave people in salvation and then we'll be like, hey, raise your hand if you got saved, if you accepted Jesus. Not everybody does, because I, I understand people are kind of nervous, like, well, I don't know you and I'm not raising my hand because I don't know what you're going to do to me. Uh, so I get that. But this is a conservative estimate. At least this many people uh, got saved and accepted Jesus. And if you were giving and serving and, and praying last year for this church, you helped these people find new life in Jesus. How awesome is that? So you can see that there is something special going on here, and I want to help you to understand that. I'll talk to people a lot of times who uh, maybe we're meeting in the lobby or, or, you know, we'll kind of talk on social media or something, and they'll be like, oh, I love the church. I've been coming for a while, and, and we're ready to get involved. And they'll say, we're ready to get plugged in, Pastor Ryan. We're ready to go all in. We want to be a part of this, and I think that is Awesome. I understand how if you come to a new church, it takes a little while to figure out if you want to get involved. You know, when you first come, uh, you got to feel it out. You know, you got to you got to kind of like check everything out and get a sense of what's going on. Like, you know, is this like a trustworthy church or is it a cult? Are they going to take good care of me or are they going to start sacrificing chickens? Like what? I need a minute to figure out if I really want to get involved here, okay? Uh, so it's okay if it takes you like a few weeks to figure that out. Maybe it takes you like six or seven weeks even. But listen, uh, if it takes three years, you have commitment issues. You need to figure it out. So I want to talk today about how to go all in at church. How to go all in at church. Last week I talked about how to go on as a disciple individually, and I was like, hey, you got to read your Bible and pray and serve, uh, attend church, tell people about Jesus, give, love people, right? That's how you grow individually in your relationship with God, and if you do the things God tells you to do, you will experience the blessings that come through following God in his ways. And today I want to talk about how to go all in at church, how to do it. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think it's so cool that Jesus said this. There are a lot of good things he could have done on this earth. He could have done really any good thing he wanted to do. But notice what he did not say. He did not say, upon this rock, I will build an animal rescue shelter. He did not say, upon this rock, I will build a soup kitchen. Or a hospital. He did not say, I will build Jesus University. Go Lions. Because, you know, that would be the mascot, obviously. He said, I will build my church. That's his strategy to reach the world. And we got to recognize that it's Jesus who builds his church. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms people and regenerates us to new life. Like I could preach, you know, uh, my heart out up here, but it wouldn't change anyone. It's the Holy Spirit that changes 
people. You know, we could have the best worship and, and music in the world, but it wouldn't do anything if the Holy Spirit wasn't moving through it, okay? We recognize it as God the Father who calls people to him. So we don't try to take the glory for it. We celebrate it, but God gets the glory because he's the one behind it. He's the one who's doing it, okay? So he deserves our praise. And then I want to point out, it says, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell. So you got to realize we live in a country that is increasingly hostile towards the church and Christianity. It wasn't always that way. It used to be that Christianity was just really intertwined with our nation and celebrated and part of the culture. And now it's becoming counterculture, cultural, and people are increasingly against it. The anti-Christian sentiment is growing. And in the future, it's likely that persecution could kind of ramp up. And while that should be concerning, it should not cause you to be fearful. You need to recognize who's actually behind this hostility. It's not Hollywood. It's not a political party. It's hell. It's hell ultimately behind it. Hell is against the church of Jesus Christ more than anything else because the devil knows that it's the church of Jesus Christ that has the most potential to change the world for Jesus. And so they don't like that. They want to stop it. They want to come against it. But we know that no matter what happens, the church will keep growing because Jesus will keep building. In peacetime or in wartime, in famine or in plenty, in the good times and the bad times, the church will keep growing because Jesus will keep building and you cannot stop Jesus. He proved that when the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And he came out of that grave, which showed once and for all, he cannot be stopped. So if he cannot be stopped, his church cannot be stopped. The word church, it's the Greek word ekklesia. And it means a called out assembly or congregation. That's like the literal translation. When we say church, it's a called out assembly or congregation. So you were called out by God and separated from the world when you were saved. You were called out from darkness into light. You were called out from sin to salvation. You were called out from hell and you were given heaven, right? You went from being an enemy of God, he plucked you out of the enemy's camp, and he made you a child of God. So you are now separate from the world the way that God is separate from all other gods. People will ask, like, well, what's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world? The difference is we worship the one true God. <laughs> and in the same way that God is separate, you are separate. That means you're in the world but you're not of the world, you've been called out. If you ever feel like I'm trying to call you out, it's because I'm trying to help you live up to your name. You're called out. And then we're called an assembly, an assembly. Listen, it's hard to be an assembly if you don't assemble. I'm about to say some things. I'm grateful for online church. We got people online right now. That's a good thing. Online church is a benefit because, man, if you're sick, you can still stay connected. If you're on vacation, you can stay connected. If you're out of town on business traveling, you can stay connected. It gives us the ability to minister to people who would otherwise be left out and maybe isolated. But we have a problem in the American church right now because of what we just went through. There are too many Christians who are too comfortable online. And online is great if it's your only option and you can't physically come to church. But it is a poor substitute for physically coming to church. 
It is better than nothing, but it's not as good as gathering with God's family. So maybe you've been online only for a long time. Maybe you know, man, the majority of time I've been online. You need to come back to church and get with your church family. We need to assemble, and it's better for you to do so. How do I know? How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. It says in Hebrews 10, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, okay? So we want to motivate one another. Notice that word, one another. Uh, and we don't want to neglect meeting together. Now, anytime I talk about this, people get defensive. And they, they feel attacked, you know, if they've been online only or they're not coming to church very often. So you get some dude who starts posting on Facebook and he's all defensive and he's mad and he feels condemned. And I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to help you. I care about you, so that's why I'm talking about this, okay? You get this guy, he gets all mad and he's like, I don't need a church to be a Christian. And I'm like, bro, you don't look super motivated to acts of love and good works right now. Like, how are you going to love one another if there is no other? Just you and the couch and popcorn and your favorite televangelist. Like, like how are you going to do it? And it's true that, that sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Right. But a car that never drives anywhere is not fulfilling the function it was designed for. And a Christian without a church cannot fulfill the function that he or she was designed for. Let me explain that, okay? The New Testament uses the Greek word alelone, okay? Alelone means literally one another. It's translated in two words, one another. This shows up in the New Testament 100 times. And 47 of those times, it's with an instruction or a command, as how you are to relate to one another. So it'll say things like accept one another, forgive one another, love one another, greet one another, bear one another's burdens, okay? And, and, and on and on and on. Uh, you might be saved on your own, but you cannot obey God on your own. Because you cannot fulfill the one another commands if there is no other. You can be a Christian without church, but you can only be a healthy Christian with church. And if you are a healthy Christian, you will want to be engaged in church because you'll love your church and you'll love what Christ loves. Let me show you. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. All the ladies are like, amen, pastor. I like this pastor. You tell them this is not that kind of sermon. Okay, it's, it's true. But I'm focusing more on, on how Christ Loved the church right now. He gave himself up for her. He loves the church so much, he was willing to die for it. That tells you how much he loves it. And so it's a tragedy that there are self-proclaimed Christians on the internet blogging and trying to tear down the church and deconstruct faith when that is the thing that Jesus gave his life to build and the thing that Jesus loves more than anything else. So how does this apply to you? Because Jesus loves his church, you should love your church. Jesus loves the big C church. And if you're new to Christianity, when you see like a capital C church, uh, that signifies the whole church. All Christians who have ever been saved throughout time, everywhere, 
And then when you see like little C church, that's usually like individual churches. So Jesus loves the whole church and he loves the individual churches. I don't really have, you know, the cognitive capacity or the ability to love the big C church. And so what God calls me to do is uh, love my church. And he calls you to love your church. And that's how you can imitate Jesus. And I'll encounter Christians and they'll be like, well, yeah, I love the church, but that doesn't mean I have to love my church. And I'm like, hmm, explain that to me. Like, you know, I mean, imagine if I said, sure, I believe husbands should love their wives in general. But that doesn't mean I have to love my wife. Because, you know, there are no good wives where I live. My wife is just so loud. Why does she have to be so loud? You know, my wife is not the way that wives used to be. So, yeah, I mean, I love the church, but I don't have to love my church, right? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's by loving your church that you prove Christ's love for the church. You know, what, what if I said, I love my wife, but I never did anything to show her love? Like never took her on a date, never bought her a present or helped her pick up around the house or take care of the kids, never showed her affection, right? She would be un satisfied. She would be an unsatisfied customer. And she would say, don't just tell me you love me, show me you love me. Right? And there are a lot of Christians who are confused about this. And they'll, they'll think, like, I don't have to actually do anything for God because he knows I love him in my heart. Like, I don't have to sing because God knows I love him in my heart. I don't have to worship and, and give and serve because God knows What's in my heart? Why is Christianity the one relationship where we separate affection from expression? You know, in our human relationships, you would expect that if I love someone, I'm going to show them. Right? And in your church and in your relationship with God, if you love him, you, you show it through your actions. And your actions reveal what is really in your heart. And so let me talk about how to do it. How to love your church. Okay, I'm going to boil it down to the most basic and important dynamics. Okay, this is what it is. How to love your church and go all in. Show up regularly. Participate in a life group. And serve on a team and give to your church. I'm going to break these down pretty quick. Biblically, because I want you to understand that what I am saying is coming from God's word so that you cannot argue with me. That's what I like to do. If I'm going to make a point, I'm going to show you how it's, it's coming from the Bible. And so you, you can't argue with me. You, you might not like it, but you just have to understand that if you don't like it and you don't want to receive it, you're not resisting the pastor, you're resisting God. Like, so I just, that's just, you know, my philosophy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, and I'm going to be clear. I'm going to be very direct. And some people aren't used to that. Uh, but I, I'm going to be blunt as I discuss things in this series. And it's because, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a politician. I'm trying to be your pastor. I'm not trying to win your vote. I'm trying to win souls. Okay. God isn't giving out points for diplomacy. He wants disciples. And I think a lot of Christians miss the heart of God because pastors beat around the bush because they don't want to get angry emails. And a lot of Christians, here's what I've been finding. I've been finding that Christians either love the truth spoken boldly or they hate the truth. 
Because some Christians are mistakenly thinking that anything that makes them feel uncomfortable must not be loving. And that's why sometimes they're like, oh, this guy's the worst. He made me feel uncomfortable. He must not love me or be a nice person. And, and what I want you to understand is like, read the Bible and you'll see that Jesus made a lot of people really uncomfortable. You know, it's because he loved them that he was willing to tell them the truth, knowing they would kill him for it. Okay, so that's why I'm trying to bring you the, the truth, and I want it to be clear, okay? So I'm going to be very direct, because I don't want you to go home and be like, wow, that was really moving, but I don't really know how it applies to my life. I want you to go home and know exactly, here is what you should do. Now, whether or not you choose to do it, that's between you and God. But I'm hoping that a lot of you might sit down this week at the kitchen table, maybe if you're married with your spouse, and just be like, okay, honey, are we going to do it? <laughs> like, you're going to know exactly what to do. So I I'm going to be direct. I'm not always this direct. Yeah, 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 I pretty much am. <laughs> First, show up regularly. Show up regularly to church, okay? Participate. Be here on a regular basis. We're seeing today that the average Christian is attending church once or twice a month and considering themselves regular churchgoers. Wow. Let me just ask you, if you worked for your employer and only got a paycheck half the pay periods, would you be okay with that and consider that regular pay? If you only had a bowel movement two days a week, <laughs> would you consider that Regular? No, you would not be okay with that. That wasn't in my notes today, but I felt like God was speaking. And I'm just a messenger. And I'm praying, <laughs> I'm praying that every, every day for the rest of your life, you'll sit on the toilet and think, God, help me to be regular in, in every part of my life, Lord. <laughs> Remember it said in Hebrews 10, let us not neglect our meeting together. Don't neglect it. Because not going to church regularly is neglect of your own soul and it's neglecting your church. Like imagine a family with me. Imagine a family where dad comes home from work and five days a week goes right into his bedroom, shuts the door, plays video games all night and goes to bed. Doesn't talk to his kids, doesn't eat dinner with the family. Nobody would say, that guy's a great dad. We would say, that guy is neglecting his family. Okay? When parents don't keep church near the top of their priority list, you'll also see that kids won't even have God show up on their priority list. And a lot of Christians think, man, I can go to church 25% of the time and, and I'm going to be okay with God. Like, it's not going to work well for you. Um, so I, and I understand, sometimes you're going to get sick. Sometimes you're going to be on vacation. Sometimes you're going to be uh, traveling for business. Uh, and no one's looking to judge you. We're not trying to create like a legalistic culture. Uh, no one's going to be calling you up and putting pressure on you. I'm trying to get you to understand, this is good for you. Uh, so what is considered regular? I would consider regular as the overwhelming majority. You know, like, some weeks I'm going to be uh, gone on vacation. Some weeks I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sick, or the kids are going to get sick, and I won't be able to come. But the overwhelming majority of the time, I'm going to be in church. Like, listen, if your kids are asking you, are we going to go to church this week? That's a red flag. That's a, that's a sign that they don't know what to expect. If you're new to Christianity, that means your next step is just keep showing up. 
I believe this. If you show up regularly, you'll grow eventually. Yeah. Might not be as fast as you wish or, you know, like on this perfect timeline, but it will happen. Because you cannot come and sit in God's presence, surrounded by God's people, and hear God's word, and not have the Holy Spirit eventually change your heart. Unless you are just completely hard-hearted, he will change you and you will grow. That's why if you just keep coming to church on a regular basis, you will grow. Okay, here's the second thing. Participate in a life group or have some kind of community. So it could be in Celebrate Recovery, but some type of community where you come together with people and you know each other and you talk and you're in each other's lives and you can pray for each other and you're open about your life and how you're doing. This is where you fulfill the one another commands primarily in this kind of smaller, more intimate setting. In Galatians 6, it says, bear one another uh, one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And this is a vital part of our church's strategy. Okay, a vital part of our discipleship and care strategy is that you would be in a life group. And so in a life group, you're going to be connected, uh, guys to other men, women to other ladies, uh, and iron sharpens iron. You will make each other stronger in your faith. You'll encourage each other. You'll pick each other up when you fall, right? You'll speak life to each other. You'll correct each other when you start believing lies. You can text your group throughout the week and, like, share your wins. If someone gets sick, you know, the rest of the group can support. If someone goes through a crisis, the rest of the group can come along and surround them. Uh, it's the way God intended it. To work. You can come to church and be in the large group and worship with a large group, which is more fun. And then you can go in a, a life group, a small group, and share intimately and be known, uh, which is more intimate and, and it's really helpful. We all have a God-designed need to feel known. You need to be known. You need to be known. And unfortunately, I can't be the only one who knows you. Um, I can't be the only one who prays for you. I, I wish I could, but I cannot be as close to everyone as I wish I could be. But that's okay because that's not the way God designed it to work. God didn't design that, that, that one pastor would be the only person taking care of everybody in the church. That would be an ineffective ministry. God designed that you'd have a whole church full of people who take care of each other. And, and here's why you need this, because if you don't have a community around you, you will be isolated, vulnerable, and susceptible to loneliness. And when a crisis comes into your life, you will not have the structural support you need to weather that storm. Please, please listen to me, okay? You don't want to be the person who realizes, oh, Pastor Ryan was right about this, after the crisis comes into your life. You need to have this community around you before the storm comes. Otherwise, I mean, it's not too late. You can still come, and, but it's just going to be a lot harder on you. And I, I don't want that for you, okay? Um, so the more you get connected to community, the more church will feel like family. I've had people stop going to church and they'll throw out these excuses like, well, I just couldn't get connected. I just didn't really feel like I knew anyone. And I have to correct that and say, no, you didn't want to do the work to get connected. And it, it honestly is work. I'm not going to lie. I wish it were easier than it is to make new friends. That would be sweet. But it's not. 
a lot of people are sitting here praying that the BFF fairy would come along and drop new best friends in their lap. Like, sweet. Like, but that's not how it works. You got to do the work. You got to like go to life group and have conversations with other human beings. And you're going to like try to get close to people. And sometimes you'll think like, oh, I could be friends with this person. And then you'll get to know them a little better and you'll be like, nope. And it's back to square one. But over time, you will develop friendships that are life-giving and have the support you need. And then the third thing is serve on a team and give financially. This is the part of the conversation where you go from being a taker to a giver or a spectator to a participant. Instead of just benefiting from the church, this is when you transition to building the church. I'll give you a little bit of uh, detail and, and, and more insight into this. Galatians 5.13 says, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Let me just give you a little context for this. Galatian, uh, Galatians is primarily Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and he's trying to help them with their tendency to be legalistic and pharisaical. And they were trying to go back to the Old Testament law and put that burden back on people. And there are Christians that still do that today. They're legalistic, and they put laws in place and rules in place that don't need to be there. But what's amazing is we know the truth that through Jesus, we are free from the burden to live up to the Old Testament law, which is an unattainable standard that no one besides Jesus has ever been able to live up to. And so now you're free from that burden, and the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, that's great that you're free, but now that you're free, don't use your freedom to be selfish. But use your freedom to serve one another humbly. That's why we should serve. Uh, and then when it comes to giving, Malachi 3.10, this is one verse. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there would uh, be food in my house. God is speaking. So a couple quick details. Like First off, the whole tithe. That means 10%. 10%. And uh, the whole tithe, notice that. Um, it doesn't say designate it and send it around the way you feel led to. Like, okay, I'm going to give a little bit to Caleb and a little bit to this televangelist because he said he would send me a, a, a hanky sprinkled with holy water. <laughs> and uh, a little bit to my church because they're all right. And uh, <laughs> the whole tithe goes to God's house. Why? Why can you not break it up? It's because it's not yours to designate. And if you try to designate it, that's you trying to exercise control over something that doesn't belong to you. When the whole point of tithing is to teach us to submit to God's control. And then it says it goes to my house, my house. So for us, that's like our local church, that there would be food in my house. Uh, we serve spiritual food each week. Did you know that? Like right now, this is like spiritual food, you know, and you're sitting there like, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> this is so good, right? The, the spiritual food that nourishes your soul is paid for by the tithes that you bring to God. And the same is true for your kids and, and, and your coworkers. And we have lost people that come to church. And because we're all so generous, like we pick up the check for those lost people. You know, we pay for the spiritual food that will nourish their soul. Uh, here's another verse, Proverbs 3.9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Let me point this out really quick. Uh, I've preached whole sermons about this, so if you're confused on the subject of giving or tithing, go into the app to Essential Listening and watch the series Money God's Way. 
and you will have no more questions. Uh, but let me point this out, because sometimes I'll, I'll get some self-appointed Bible scholars who will be like, uh-uh-uh, Pastor Ryan, tithing is a part of the law, and I'm free from the law. I don't have to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, tithing was in the law, but it existed before the law, and it exists after the law. But I'm not going to get into all that. But this, Proverbs, this is not part of the law. This is wisdom literature. It's, Proverbs exists to communicate wisdom from God to people. And so if, if it was wise to honor God with your wealth then, don't you think it's still wise to honor God with your wealth now? And if God said he would bless you for honoring him then, don't you think he will bless you now? And when you study the word, first fruits in the Bible, it's always a tithe. It's a tithe. It belongs to God. So that's 10%. Uh, it's, not like an, it's not like a percentage you just make up depending on how you feel. It's 10% for everyone, whether you're poor or rich. It's 10%. Uh, and so that would be 10% of like your paycheck, of a bonus, of profit on a, on a business transaction, an inheritance. I, I don't recommend you play the lottery, but if you do and you win, you should tithe on that. Praise God. <laughs> Like, I'm not judging you, I mean, but at least do the right thing with it <laughs> when you get it. Uh, and then, so here's what it looks like. All Christians, I believe this, and the Bible teaches this is clear. All Christians should tithe and then give offerings when God leads as they are able. So I think all Christians at a minimum should tithe. That is the baseline of going all in financially with God. And money is a big part of our lives. Let's not pretend that it isn't. So you can't say God is the Lord of my life, but not my money. I'll stay the Lord of that part of my life. Like, I'm a bad God. Well, anything I try to stay God over tends to fall apart. I have found this. Anything I give to God tends to prosper. All right, and so you got to understand the difference between tithing, which is going like all in and submitting all of your finances to God, versus tipping, which is like making a, a token contribution which a lot of people do. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but I, I just want to help you understand it. You know, like a tip is something you give to someone who serves you. A tithe is what you give to God to symbolize that you serve him. But God's not looking for just like a contribution. He wants you to go all in. You know, some people are like, okay, I got a five and, and a cough drop. I'll put that in the offering. That's a contribution. Like yesterday I had this amazing breakfast of eggs and bacon. Like, praise God. You know, that breakfast, uh, the chicken made a contribution, but the pig went all in. Yeah. <laughs> and then here's the next part. Christians should find a way to serve the body of Christ. Jesus said, I have served you, so you should serve one another. And this is primarily going to be like serving on a team. We have all kinds of ministries you could serve in. There's like the welcome team and kids and worship and in service and in the parking lot and production, the food pantry. There's all kinds of things. And where you should serve is going to depend on you and the spiritual gifts that God has given you. The Bible said God has given each and every one of you a spiritual gift. And he has put that inside of you. Uh, and you have unique talents, we all have things we're not good at and things we are good at. So generally, like, I should try to serve in an area that I'm, I'm good. At the, like, there's a reason I don't lead worship. I'm not good at that. And then you should think about, like, what are you passionate about? 
know, because you'll find that if you're passionate about something, like, man, if you love kids, uh, you know, if you love worship, you know, if you love welcoming people and making them feel comfortable, like, like, you'll find that that passion just fuels your fire for that, and it will rarely ever feel like work. And that's where you should serve. Let me make a couple little minor points here. Some of you, God gave you the spiritual gift of giving. That's a spiritual gift the Bible talks about. Uh, Some people have the gift of giving, which is a desire to give generously, above and beyond, and the means to do so. So for some of you, the way you can serve your church best is to build your business and close that deal and earn that bonus and then give generously. And that's legit, and God thinks that's awesome. And then the other thing I want to say, some of you are going through a season where it might be really hard for you to serve the way you wish you could. Like maybe you are physically unwell, or maybe, like I know some families, you just had a baby, and everything is just like crazy right now. God understands that, and we understand that as your church family. Like, we care about you, uh, and we want you to be okay, you know? Like, we care more about you as a person than what you can do for the church. You realize that? And so we understand that, but what, what I would ask you to do is, even if you can't serve as much as you would want to, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you can do right now. And, and don't you think he'll probably give you some ideas? Maybe it'll just be, I'm going to invite everyone I see, or I'm going to pray for my church and my pastors, or I'm going to, like, it could, be, it could be something from home. It could be something with the time and ability you do have, and God will use that because just like working out, something is always better than nothing. And you'll find the more you invest in your church, the more you will love your church. Let me be honest right now. The, the truth is, like, if you don't love your church at all, and, and some people don't, like, I'll be honest, I talk to people, and I mean, if, if there's probably people in the room right now, you're like, no. <laughs> I mean, I tolerate it, because my wife, you know, she would give me a hard time if I didn't come. Or, or maybe even like, I, I like it, I guess, or I wouldn't be here, but I wouldn't say I love it. If you don't love your church, that's a red flag, bro. It is. It's a warning sign that something is not right. Uh, and that's not to call you out or embarrass anyone, right? But just to help you and encourage you. Because I will bet that if you don't love your church, it's because you're not investing in your church. And if you're not investing, you're going to miss out on the benefits that come through going all in. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, this is like a human uh, dynamic that is true for everyone. When you start to invest in something with your wallet, your heart will always follow it. We, we often get it backwards and we think, well, it's when you love something, that's when you're willing to give to it. But the reality is the opposite is more true. When you invest in something and, and, and you put your treasure there, you cannot stop your heart from following that's why you love your kids so much, because they're expensive. You invested so much in those kids, like they've got to make it. If you put all your money into Apple stock, like you're going to be really into what happens with that company. 
Like what, what, what's the news headlines saying and, and what are they releasing and what's the stock price doing? And if you put your treasure into the church of Jesus Christ, you're going to be really into Jesus Christ and his church. You won't be able to help it. It just happens. And, and you can't really help but care about whatever you invest in. Uh, you'll find that the more you put your treasure in Jesus' church, the more you will love Jesus And your love for the church will multiply exponentially. So let me kind of summarize what this looks like. Cause and effect. How to go all in and love your church. right? Show up regularly. Participate in a life group. Serve on a team and give financially. Here's what I've seen over the last 10 years by watching this play out with thousands of people and thousands of families. Okay, If you only do one of these things, you are going to struggle. If you only do one of these things, you will almost definitely be spiritually unhealthy. Being very real. If you do two out of three at least, in my experience, you'll probably be generally okay. You'll be generally on the right track, and you'll be okay. If you do three out of three, if you do all of these things and go all in, you will 100% guaranteed grow in your faith, fulfill God's purpose for your life, experience God's blessing in your life, and make an impact in the world through the church of Jesus Christ. I've seen it play out again and again and again. And the way you really benefit from the church is by joining Jesus in building this church. And, and thank God it's easy to build this church because it's easy to love this church. It's easy to invest in it because it's, it's, it's so easy to love it. I really genuinely believe that we have the best church in Arizona yeah. by a lot. Yeah. And just so you understand, like, I'm not saying that to put anyone else down because I, I love other churches and I love other pastors. I, I'm more so just celebrating that what God has done here is really special. It's really special. And when you think about the things that are most important for a church to do, like serve and help and, and, and build up the next generation and worship God in spirit and in truth and teach the Bible, like we have something special to offer the, the world and, and the people of this community. What God is doing here is not normal. And when you look at what has been happening in the history of this church, it wasn't like just one year we had a good year and it was like a one-hit wonder and, and, and those were the glory days we look back on, right? It just keeps getting better as time goes on. And, and last year, look at what God did. He just like dropped a new campus in our lap. He was like, here's a new building and property in Fountain Hills. Here you go. Like that doesn't happen. Last year we started building a new building and this year we're going to finish that building. And so just speaking strategically for a minute, here is what is going to happen at this church that you're a part of. In the next year, a lot of new people are going to start coming here. And that means that there is a reason that God has you here now. It's so that you can be a part of ministering to the next spiritual generation of believers that will come through these doors. Maybe up until now, you've just been kind of coming and observing. uh, But I pray that in this season, many, many people in our church family would go from the crowd to the core. And let me talk about that for a second. Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd that was all around him. 
Uh, okay, and put this graphic up for the crowd, right? The crowd was all around Jesus everywhere he went. They would follow him around, Scripture says. There was a great multitude, thousands of people oftentimes would show up. And that's a cool thing that they would show up, right, because they liked Jesus. They were interested in his teaching. It was, like, revolutionary. Uh, a lot of people showed up because they needed help. Maybe, maybe they were sick or they had a deformity and, and no doctors could help them. So Jesus was their last hope and they were at the end of their rope. Uh, some people showed up just because they heard Jesus was giving out free lunches. Like, this is sweet. I'm hungry. Let's eat. Okay. But, and so this crowd, uh, uh, the large group that followed Jesus around, they showed up and Jesus helped them. And then there was a core, a smaller group that was closer to Jesus, uh, and they actually did the things he commanded them to do. And he didn't just help them, Jesus trained them. So the crowd, they were blessed by Jesus, whereas the core, they were trained by Jesus to build the church and be a blessing to other people. And right now what God is doing for some of you is you're in the core, uh, and then others of you, you're in the crowd. And, and for those of you who are part of the crowd right now, I, I think the Holy Spirit could be speaking to your heart and just saying, hey, that's you. You're in the crowd. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. That's not something you should feel guilty about. Um, we've all been in the crowd at one point. But I think the Holy Spirit uh, could be speaking to you and saying, it's time to go deeper. It's time to step up. It's time to go all in and build my church. And I'm praying that we would build the kind of church that is pleasing to Jesus. My, I, I sometimes imagine like him walking in the doors and coming and sitting down. And I, I, I just pray that we would build the kind of church where Jesus would be here and he would be like, this is sweet. Like, I like this. Like, that's my biggest prayer. And that our church would reflect the heart of God the Father. And that when people come here, they would encounter the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would join me in building that church. And maybe you're like, but wait, I thought Jesus was building his church. That's true. And we are too. I'll show you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. So how we should think about this is like Jesus is the general contractor and we are his subcontractors. <laughs> Jesus has already established the mission and we are answering his calling. Jesus provides the power and we provide the labor. Praise God. Like we are co-workers in his service and that doesn't mean that we get the credit. It means that we are answering the call and we're joining God in his work. Uh, Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. I don't know if you'll track with what I'm about to say uh, or not, but I read this and I was thinking last night, this is crazy. Uh, like, we just got Jesus juked by Jesus. Do you realize what's happening right here? Like, this is actually really funny. Sometimes you read the Bible and you don't realize how Jesus is funny right at, at first. Like, he, he's funny. And I think right here what he did was he just kind of, like, pulled a move on his disciples. Like, I just imagine him, you know, guys, like, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What does that mean? Like, there's a lot of lost people out there who need God. 
And maybe they're ripe and they're open and they're searching for answers and they're looking for hope. And maybe like some of you came to church tonight and that's you. And you're like, I just need God's help. I don't know what to do, but I need something. Those people are ripe. But then there's not a lot of workers to go out and pick that ripe harvest and bring it in, right? The workers are few. And so here's what I think Jesus was basically doing with his disciples. He was like, guys. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And his disciples were like, oh no, oh no, Jesus, like what are we going to do? And Jesus was like, could maybe you guys be workers? And they were all like, ooh, I've got a, I got a football watch party to go to though. And Jesus was like, I, that's okay, I understand. But could you maybe at least pray for workers? And they were like, yeah, okay, uh, let's do it. Okay, um, God, could you please send Jesus some workers to help him build his church? <sighs> uh, Lord, uh, just send him some workers from somewhere. I, okay, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, he's talking about me, clearly, right? Like, I see what you did there, Jesus. Very clever. <laughs> like, we're supposed to see there's a need... And we have the ability to meet that need. The harvest is your family members, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and coworkers and neighbors and people who live in your community who are currently sitting there hopeless and looking for answers, who are sitting there hurting and looking for healing. And God has brought you into their life not to just be a church goer, but to be a church builder and to bring the good news to people who need good news. So, man, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to spend my whole life just sitting in the cheap seats spectating. I don't want to just spend the rest of my life in the crowd benefiting from the ministry of Jesus. Because I know that there's something better I can give my life to. And there's something bigger you can give your life to. Like the church of Jesus Christ is the longest lasting institution in the history of the world. It is the largest organization in the history of the world, consisting of billions and billions of people. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ has done more good than any organization in the history of the world. Uh, the church has done more good for the poor. It has done more good for the unborn. It has done more good to elevate the social status of women and children. It has done more good to bring unity between different races and ethnicities. The church is the greatest force for good in the history of the world. It is bigger than us. It is bigger than you. And you will find that if you give your life to something bigger than yourself, you can make an impact that you can never make by yourself. And then as a result of that, you can experience greater blessing than you ever could by yourself. So, so do you want to give your life to something bigger than yourself? If you do, you'll find new purpose for your life, a greater purpose. And I find that so many people are living their lives feeling unfulfilled. But I think that's because they're still hanging out in the crowd. Wow. Yeah. They're hanging out in the crowd. And, and God designed it so that once you get in the core and you put your hands in the dirt and you start doing the ministry of Jesus, you will find satisfaction doing that that cannot be found anywhere else. When you know like you helped lead someone to eternal life, 
when you know you contributed to something that brought a family back together and saved them from heartbreak, like that is the most fulfilling thing you can experience. And, and with Jesus, it just happens again and again and again. And, and you'll, you'll just understand more and more that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you build his church, you experience the blessings of God in a new way. So I know that there are people today that God is stirring something inside of you right now. And I hope you'll understand the heart of this message that God has something for you. Right? This isn't a sermon about what God wants to take from you. It's a sermon about what God wants to give to you. He wants to give you purpose and blessing and allow you to make an impact with your life. You know, it's possible to make an impact with your life that will continue to echo even after you are dead. As generation to generation of new believers put their faith in Jesus, you could be in heaven and, and continue to rack up rewards as the impact of your life continues to spread on this earth, even after you're gone. And I know maybe some of you are here today and you could sense like God is calling you out. Maybe. Maybe you're here and you came because you are at the end of your rope or looking for hope or hurting. And you know, like right now, something inside of you is just drawing you and you're saying, like, I need to give my life to Jesus. I think God could be showing someone right now, like, there's something bigger than you that you'll never experience if you don't give your life to Jesus. And maybe right now that's you. So I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, and I want to just lead you uh, in this moment to receive salvation if that's you. Let me just clarify this. You do not get saved by doing the things I talked about tonight. You grow in your faith by doing the things I talk about tonight. And you make a difference by doing the things I talk about. And you get blessed by doing the things I talk about. But you get saved by placing your faith in Jesus. By trusting him to save you. And believing in your heart that he's the son of God. That he died for your sins. And that he rose again. If you trust him to save you. That means you believe. Like I cannot save myself. I need a savior. And I know Jesus is the one who can do it. If you believe that truly. You will be saved. So if you want to be saved tonight. You want to become a part of God's family. And, and, and be called out from sin and darkness. Into what he has for you. Pray this with me right now. Just pray, God, I ask you to save me. And I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus that he is the one who can save me. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Today, I receive your gift of forgiveness. And I receive eternal life. Uh, and I thank you, Lord, for adopting me into your family and making me your child. I pray that you would lead me from this day forward, and I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray.